Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Matthew Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Thank you, Pastor Jim. And really, it's whenever Pastor Jim gives me the opportunity to preach, I'm the one that's honored. I'm blessed by it. Um, really, just a man, not worthy to preach the gospel, and yet... It's the power of Christ that strengthens me to do all things, right? So you can't tell. You shake on the inside when you're doing a sermon. But who's this we on the barbecue? Yeah. Yeah. So if you open a revelation. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, It's really amazing, though, that when I'm writing a sermon and I'm praying and I'm discerning about what to speak about or what scriptures to pick. I don't call Jerry up and go, hey, play these three songs because they'll really line up with the message that I have that'll really prime people's hearts to receive what I'm bringing today. I don't do that, right? And yet I show up on a Sunday morning, Pastor Jim shows up on a Sunday morning and somehow, somehow, yeah, that's how we say it. The Holy Spirit works and primes our hearts. And worship isn't just about the music and the singing. It's this continuation of talking about God, of thinking about the things of God, of examining our hearts. So the songs this morning, Jesus, we trust you, right? Nothing is holding me back from you. We fill the room with the incense of surrender. We love you, God. We love you, God. And now I get to love you in return. Is that amazing? That's the message right there. Like, we can just go. (laughs) But that's my prayer this morning. As we start and we explore, we're going to be in John chapter 5. But that's my prayer. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that through this message, through this time, through this gathering, we would grow further in our trust for you. We would lay down more of the things that we hold on to and go deeper into your trust. I pray that the things that are holding us back from your fullness, the idolatry, the doubt, the sins, the unrepentance, the unforgiveness, I pray that we would lay those down and that nothing would hold us back, that we could enter deeper into your trust. I pray that we would fill this room with the incense of surrender, surrender our lives, all that we are, all that we have to your goodwill and purpose, Lord Jesus. And I pray that on the other side, we would find a deeper love for you. I pray that we would know how to love you in return. Because of all that you've done for us, I pray that love for us, for you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So if you want to turn to John, the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're looking at the pool of Bethsaida. I may call it Bethesda, but that's a Greek translation. So if I start getting mixed up and I'm saying Bethesda or Bethsaida, you know what I'm talking about. It's a pool. It's a pool. And John tells us at the end of his gospel, he says, I've written down these miracles so that you may believe. He also says, Jesus did way more than this. He did so many miracles, I don't don't even want to write them down. So I'm very selective in the miracles that I've included in my gospel because I want you to learn something from them. Often we read about the miracles of Jesus and we try to place ourselves within the story. You know, we we compare, we relate ourselves to the different characters. Sometimes we're the disciples, and we need to learn more about Jesus as the Messiah, and we need to confront our doubt, and we ask questions. Sometimes we're the Pharisees, judging Jesus, doubting Jesus, persecuting Jesus, super legalistic with our theology and our biblical interpretations. Many times, for me, I'm the sinner that needs to repent. I see myself in the sinner in need of repentance. And this isn't a bad practice. It's not a bad thing to do, placing yourself in the shoes of these biblical characters, especially when you're trying to apply it to your own life. Trying to apply the Bible story. How do we live? How should we live? How does this relate to where I'm at? But this story, this particular story, this miraculous healing at the pool of Bethsaida, it's not about us. It's not about us. We can see ourselves in the invalid. That's easy. I can see myself as somebody who needs help. You know, I can see myself in in the Pharisees. I can see myself. I can see myself in the story. 
especially in those that are putting their hope in this superstitious chance and worldly possibility of healing. But this story is about Jesus. We need to keep that framework. We need to keep that in mind because it's about his character. It's about his reckless love. It's about his abounding grace. And even though this story is about Jesus, it is a story for us. So even though we're not in it, it's still for us. A story that gives great theological insight into the character of God, into who Jesus is. A story whose teachings, that if we apply them to our life, our lives as disciples, it will have a tremendous effect. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 1. He put this in to teach us something that could have a tremendous effect on our walk with Jesus. So let's listen. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. So after traveling through Samaria, Jesus stops in Galilee and spends a good time ministering there before continuing through to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, as verse 1 tells us, for some Jewish festival. We're not sure what festival it is, but it's a historical event. And while there, Jesus stops by the pool of Bethsaida. Now, this isn't like Glenwood Hot Springs pool, where like everybody's in nice lawn chairs, they're sipping on daiquiris, and the water's crystal clear, and ooh, it's really nice. No, this is a gross pool. All right, scripture tells us it's right next to the sheep gate. What do you think that is? That's the gate where all the sheep come in to be sacrificed at the temple. Now, there was an intermittent spring within this pool, but most of the water, the majority of the water in the pool came from the runoff from the city. Could you imagine Jerusalem runoff, especially at a time of a festival where the city's packed? Gross. Also, there's a whole bunch of invalids. There's lame people. There's people with sores. There's people with diseases all jumping in the pool every time it stirs up and coming out. It's not a fun pool. It's not nice. Now, around the pool laid many who were sick, lame, blind, and paralyzed. More than just many. It was probably hundreds of people surrounding this, these two tiny pools. The reason for such great numbers of inflicted people stems from a local superstition that when the water is mysteriously stirred up, the first one that can reach the pool will be healed of whatever disease they had. Older translations attribute this stirring of the water to the angel of the Lord. Periodically, the angel of the Lord would stir up the water. But today, many believe that the pool was filled by a natural intermittent spring that would bubble and spout from time to time. But all their hope was put in the chance of being the first one to reach that bubbling water. Standing amongst the many who had been placed there. Oh, but what's ironic, so they're all staring, looking at the pool, hoping for healing. And ironically now, to the pool has come the healer of the world. 
standing amongst them, the many who had placed their hope in a dirty pool. Here's the light of the world, and they're all staring at a dirty pool. What have you placed your hope in? What false pool are you staring at, hoping for one bubble to stir up and save you? What do you need to be healed from? Sickness? Physical? Cancer? No, none of those. What about idolatry? Lust? Pride? Anger? Gluttony, drunkenness, gossip. Oh, you thought, ah, the associate pastor's preaching will be a milk toast sermon. I'm all, no, we're eating meat this morning. Gotcha. <laughs> eating some meat. Can you, here's the question. Can you even admit that you are sick? Here at this pool, possibly hundreds of people waiting for and hoping in some superstitious lie. In verse 5, we meet one of these people waiting near the water, a man who had been invalid for most of his life, possibly paralyzed, 38 years. 38 years, this man. And this was the man that Jesus had sought out. From all those people at the pool that day, Jesus picked this man. Why? He must have been a man of great faith. He must have been someone living with the fear of the Lord, righteous and pious, a man of integrity above reproach. Jesus goes over to this man and he asks, do you want to get well? And I always wonder why Jesus asked it in that way. Do you want to get well? Our first instinct would suggest that this man would, without hesitation, be like, yes, of course. Yes, thank you. I want to get well. But that's not what he says. You know, I would probably be more sarcastic in my response. No. I'm good. I love being paralyzed by the pool for 38 years. Can't support myself. Everybody's got to drag me around everywhere. No, it's cool. I'm good. I don't want to be healed. But he doesn't even say that. Instead, this man, he complains. He makes an excuse for his lack of healing. He whines. The way I read it, I read it in such a way because that's how I always read it in my head before I look deeper. Like a guy who wanted help. Sir. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get there, someone else goes in front of me. Please help me, sir, get into the water. That's how I always read it. But if you look at, you look at the character of this man, maybe he didn't want to be healed. And there's lots of reasons why people didn't want to get healed. But I, I hear him answer like this. He's like, well, no one, every time it's stirred up, I can't get there. Every time I'm close, someone else, they cut me off. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm trying. I'm laying here. I'm trying. Why would a man that was invalid for 38 years not want to be healed? Many reasons. What have you prayed to be healed from? What is something in your life you want God to remove or add to fill you up with? And here's the hard question. Do you really want it? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be filled up? Do you want, do you want the things that you say you believe? Truly, the thing, the thing that you're asking for, the sin, the thorn, do you really want it to be healed? Can you think of any reason why you would not want Jesus to make you well? So from this short interaction described in our passage of scripture today, we see that this man is not a man of great faith. He's not a man of integrity or reverence. He's an old man set in his ways, dependent on others for everything, likely dropped off early in the morning by a family member and picked up at the end of the day and brought home. He whines and complains, using his condition to justify his attitude and his outlook on life. Why would Jesus choose this whiny, seemingly undeserving man out of all those people that were seeking healing at the pool that day? Why him? In verse 10 and 13, we find out also that this man is a snitch. He's a tattletale, someone who blames others for his situation. Now, it is unlawful to carry your mat or bed around on the Sabbath, and this man is questioned by the Sabbath police, the Karens of the day. Interestingly, <laughs> yeah. 
Interestingly enough, here, here's this. You're allowed to carry a bed if there's a person on it on the Sabbath, but you cannot carry an empty bed on the Sabbath, right? Bureaucracy, it's amazing. It adds to God's kingdom so much. Love legalism. Here's a man who has not walked on his own for 38 years. Does he thank Jesus for the miracle? Does he exclaim to the Pharisees about his miraculous healing? No. He says, that guy over there told me to stand up and carry my mat. It was that guy. Where'd he go? Who they asked. The man that made me well. He's the one who made me do this unlawful thing. The man who made me well. It's crazy. It's crazy. No one hears that part. They're so blinded by their love for the rules and the law that they don't even question the miracle. Aren't you that guy who's been sitting here for 38 years? Wait a minute. What, you're carrying your mat? Who did this? Where? Show me. Who is this man? Not because he healed the man, but because he told you to break Sabbath law. But Jesus had slipped away, as he often did, when the spectacle of one of his signs becomes the motivation for people seeking him. The invalid didn't even know Jesus' name. He never thanked Jesus. He never asked, who are you, Lord? He just got up and went on his way, self-absorbed, selfish, still whiny, still a snitch. <laughs> Do you want to be well? Sadly, not all sick people want to be healed. Even though that is, that is really what they need. And you know what's worse? Not all people, even Christians, truly want to surrender their lives to Christ. Even though that's what we all really need. Verse 8 and 9, Jesus doesn't pick up the man like, what's that movie? The Bodyguard? And, uh, and like carry him into the... Right? No, he doesn't do that. Instead, he commands the man. He says, rise, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured. Why him? Why him? He didn't do anything to deserve a miracle from Jesus. He was a whiny, selfish complainer that blamed others for his situation. He didn't even answer the question when Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? He didn't even answer. He just started complaining and making excuses. And yet, Jesus heals him. And that's the point of John's recording of this miracle. That's why this is a story about Jesus. The healing power of Christ is not dependent on any human conditioning. It is the grace of Jesus Christ and the will of the Father that heals no amount of good or bad influences the amazing grace and perfect love of our Lord. Amen? Amen? More so, the salvation power of Christ is not dependent on us. That's the real amen. Thank God my salvation is not dependent on what good I can do. But we are still called to pray for healing. We are called to live lives worthy and pleasing to God. We are called to imitate Christ. So this is not a story telling Christians that we don't have to live holy. We must try and live like Christ. John records this story not so that we will live like cranky old self-centered snitches and still find grace, but to show us that the redemptive power of Christ is not bound by any human law or human understanding or human standard. Amen. It is based on his good character, his amazing grace, and his reckless love. That's it. That's why John gives us his story. Why aren't I getting healing? It must be something I'm doing. Why did that person get healing? It must be something they did. No. It's God's good character, his amazing grace, and his reckless love. Verse 14, later Jesus finds this man at the temple and says to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. What could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? Uh, eternal damnation, right? That might be worse. This man received physical healing from Jesus, but was still guilty of sin. Jesus says, stop sinning, meaning that this man was caught in some perpetual lifestyle of sin. We don't know what it was, but it was enough for Jesus to go and seek him out. 
out of his crazy love for this sinful man, Jesus does not leave him physically well, but inwardly sick. Jesus didn't stop there. You're healed on the outside, but I still got to, there's, there's more. Jesus seeks him out, finds him at the temple to teach him about repentance. To teach him about repentance so that his soul may be healed. Yes, yes, salvation by grace through faith alone. Salvation by grace through faith alone and that faith in Jesus Christ. But Jesus preached repentance as well. Repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And this may shock some of you. This next thing may shock some of you. But I want you to hear it. Because there is no belief in Jesus without repentance. There is no belief in Jesus without repentance. Why is this shocking to some people in here? Because many churches and many pastors, not ours, but many churches and many pastors have conditioned a gospel culture of grace without repentance. All you got to do is say the sinner's prayer and you're saved and you're forgiven. Good job. We're all going to clap and you're good to go. No. Forgiven for what? Do you even need to be forgiven? Do you want to be made well? Before you can answer that, are you even sick? There is no faith in Christ Jesus without repentance. There is no savior for those that do not need to be saved. Honest, sincere, humbling repentance. Now, of course, we're all going to mess up sometimes. We all stray. We're not perfect. We're going to sin and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. We constantly need the forgiveness of Christ that was bought on the cross for us. But we must turn from our sinful lifestyle. If we do not repent, we kid ourselves about our belief in Christ. That's just, if you say you're loving Jesus and you're not repenting, better check it. The healing of the man at the pool of Bethsaida is a demonstration of God's grace to an undeserving man. But it is also a teaching on repentance. Grace cannot be separated from repentance. We repent in response to the saving grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you're not repentant, do you really believe in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord? So what does the healed man do? Verse 15. Does he drop to the floor and beg Jesus to forgive his sins? Does he instantly turn from a sinful lifestyle and proclaim the saving grace of Jesus? No. Now he knows the name of the man that told him to pick up his mat and walk. The man that got him in trouble with the Sabbath police. He runs and finds the Pharisees, the snitch on Jesus. I know him now. It's Jesus. That's the guy. Snitches on Jesus and exonerates himself from persecution. How different Jesus is from us. Again, he says, the man who made me well, his name is Jesus. Go get him. The man who made me well. And again, no one cares why or how this man is healed. All they care about was that the Sabbath law was broken and somebody has to pay. Do you think someone can be healed outwardly but still sick inwardly? Are you blessed on the outside and lost on the inside? Social media is a great example for us to look at. We put up our best pictures our smiling faces, our happy families. And by all accounts, those who view our posts, they look and they say, wow, that person is blessed. Look at their blessed life. I'm so jealous of their blessed life. Hate, hate, hate. <laughs> but what's the truth? In reality, there's family secrets behind those pictures. There's alcoholism. There's codependency. There's abuse. There's trauma. There's all kinds of things that we don't see under the surface. And what do we say? Everything's fine. I don't need healing. I don't need prayer. I'm good. How's that working out? These families outwardly blessed but inwardly unrepentant from a lifestyle of sin. Church, today, today, are you sick on the inside? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? What are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your hope in for this healing? 
You see, the Jews, they could see an outside blessing from Jesus, but they were so focused on their interpretation of God's law that they didn't care. They didn't care. It was the same legalistic, blind interpretation of the law that sent Jesus to the cross. In verse 16, the Jews persecuted Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. What does Jesus say to him? Gets in more trouble. He says, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Calling God his father put Jesus equal to God. So not only was he breaking Sabbath law, but now he's putting himself equal to God. And for this reason, the the Jews tried even that much harder to kill him. Lord, I'm, I'm just so grateful that your spirit inspired John to include this story of healing in, in, in his gospel. I pray that we will heed these teachings, that we will accept that grace is a free gift poured out. It's a free gift poured out on us who are undeserving, but also that our faith is directly connected to our repentance. Help us, Lord. Help us to admit that we need a healer. Help us to admit that we need you as our redeemer, as our savior. You, Lord, you tell us that you have not come for the well, but for the sick. Help us to confront our sickness and turn to you. Thank you, Lord. See, the story of healing at Bethsaida, it may have made you uncomfortable this morning. The truth is, as humans... We will always do what we believe to be in our best interest at the time. We operate from the best interest of ourselves at the time. What's best for me right now? What's best for my family right now? We will always do what we believe is in our best interest. Here's the harder thing. We will believe whatever is in our best interest at the time. But Christ is unchanging. Time doesn't matter to Christ. Christ is unwavering in his good character and in his teachings. The grace and forgiveness of Christ, that's great. I want to believe that. That's fun. That's easy. But this repentance thing, turning from sin, I'll pass on that. Give me the blessings. You can forget that work stuff. Do you want to be healed? Yes, yes. Then repent. Oh, oh. If it's like that, then I don't know. I don't know how much I want to be healed. Could probably live with this thorn for a little bit. Why? Why? The truth, the truth is we love our sin. You love your sin. I love my sin. It's part of our identity. It is who we are. And we love who we are. We love it. We are sick. Will you repent or only pretend to believe? We are sick. Just finished Revelation. Things to come. Promised things to come. I say all the time that I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I say that I want Jesus to return. But am I really ready for that? Do I really want to be raptured? Do I really want to be saved? Do you? Do you? I pray constantly for God to show me his will. Because I want to follow it. I do. I want to follow your will, Lord. I say, Lord, your will be done and not mine. Take all of me. Use my life however you need. But do I truly want to do his will and not mine? Is it just lip service? Am I done doing what I believe to be in my greatest interest? Am I done? And am I going to trust in his perfect interests? Am I willing to lay down my life for the gospel? Is my heart living for him or for the flesh? This is real stuff. This is stuff that all of us should be thinking, finishing Revelation. I ask God for deliverance from my sin. Heal me, Lord, physically, emotionally, relationally. Give me freedom from my idols. But do I really want to be made well? Do I want my idols removed? I remember pleading with God in my, at the height of my addictions. Please, Lord, take this from me. Please. 
But looking back, I just wanted to get through the hangover or not get in trouble. I didn't really want him to take it from me. I was putting on a show. I don't know for who. God knew I was messing around, but maybe it was just for me. This time's different. Please help me this time, Lord. I'm going to live for you. God knew I was clowning around. He knows my heart. He knows I didn't really want to be delivered from my addictions because I love my addictions. But I can also say that back then I didn't know Jesus. I knew about him, but I didn't know, I didn't know this grace on a man that's undeserving. I didn't know it was there for the people who can't earn it. Now, only you can answer those questions for yourself. I'm not up here judging. I just, revelation made me take a hard look at where I'm at. And I thought, maybe there's somebody in here that might be feeling the same way. We all put on a brave Christian face. But if we are honest, inside may hold doubt and shame and unforgiveness and pride and insecurity and hopelessness and on and on and on. But I say that I trust him. I say that I love him, that I want to be with him. And these are things that, to my core, I thought that I knew that I believed to know about my relationship with God, that I love him, that I trust him, that I want to be with him more than anything. But this last Tuesday, I was shown just how lacking I am in the things that I say that I believe. Living in the best interests of the time and not for Jesus. It was Tuesday night and I was at Celebrate Recovery and the lesson that night was on powerlessness. How we are powerless to control our tendency to do the wrong things and how our lives are unmanageable without Jesus. The week before was denial. You had to first confront the things that are uncontrollable, the things that you're powerless in. And then you had to actually admit that you're powerless. And in that, we have to come to trust Jesus so much more. We have to. So it's no secret that right now in my family life, we're going through some struggles. We're going through some trials, right? We're trusting in the Lord. Lord, I trust you. You're going to move in an amazing way. I know it. I know it. But it's hard. It's hard. So celebrate recovery. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm driving home, and I'm having a, a pleasant conversation with my wife. We didn't argue at all. She's watching right now. Um, no, so I hang up the phone and I'm like, okay, I'm going to meditate. I'm just going to spend some time with the Lord. So I sit on the couch and I put on some like meditation background music, something nice, a little piano, whatever. And all I could think to say was I lean my head back and I just started saying, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. All the frustration and the anger and, and the, all the stuff from the day. I'm like, just get it off me, Lord. I trust you. I trust you in all of this. And as I kept repeating that, my eyes are closed. I start to see just little white specks all over. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. And I start to get this feeling of peace. And I keep saying, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. And, and, and as I'm looking in it, and this peace is enveloping me, and these white little dots start to merge together into one bright white light. And I start to freak out a little bit. What is this? I don't understand this. What am I feeling? What is this peace? What is this light that I'm seeing? I'm a little scared. And at that moment, I think or I heard or whatever, he's like, I thought you said you'd trust me. And I go, oh, okay, okay, all right, let's do this. So I'm closing, I'm like, I trust you. I do trust you, I do trust you. And it felt like I was laying down a part of the fear in trusting him. And I, and I went deeper into this light, deeper into this peace. And said, Lord, I trust you. And, and I, I had this feeling like him saying, come with me then. Come with me. And I'm like, come with you where? I don't, what, what, where? He's like, I thought you trusted me. I said, okay, I'll come with you. And I could feel the peace and I could feel like, I don't know what, honestly, I'm just, I don't know if he was pulling me into the kingdom, if he was going to bring me back, if he was going to leave me kingdom minded in here. Or, I didn't know. And I was Terrified. Terrified. But I said, I trust you, Lord. And I went, I went with him a little farther. And then I said, what if, what if this is it and you're taking me? What about my family? Who's going to take care of my wife and my children? I thought you said you trusted me. Mm -hmm. Oh, you got me. All right. 
I trust you with them. I trust you. I lay down my family. I trust you with them. Close it. What about my church? What about my job? What about this? And basically what I was saying was, what about the world? What about me? What about me? I want to get in the pool, but nobody's helping me. And he's like, I thought, I thought you trusted me. You don't have to get in that pool. I'm right here. And I would love to tell you that I trusted Jesus 100% and I was sucked into the kingdom. And now I'm not really here, but I am here. And no, I got so scared. I, I pulled out of the, the vision, the, the meditation. I didn't want it. I didn't want it. Matthew, I have this healing. I have this peace. I have this love. Just follow me. No, no. What about the world? And in that moment, I was so convicted. Like, man, I get up here and on Tuesdays and on chapel days and sometimes up here and I say how much I trust Jesus and I want him to come back and I love him. And then when faced with the opportunity, I'm a chicken. I'm a whiny old snitch. Right? And it was, gosh, why, Lord? Why can't I? The chasm was so far. I thought in my head, if I could just trust you more, I could get to you more. And then he showed me how far it was. And he's like, that's not even half. The amount of trust that I would need. Right? All about me. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm in need of healing. Jesus, Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? You would think such an ill person wouldn't hesitate to jump into the arms of Jesus and proclaim, yes, Jesus, yes, I want to be well. But do I really? Am I truly ready to be with him, to give up the desires and the pleasures of this world and dwell with him alone? I don't know. There's another story in the Bible, a, a rich young ruler. He loved God. He did this. He followed the law. He wanted to please God. And Jesus confronts him and he goes, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, do all these things. He's like, yep, nailed it. Did every one of those things my whole life. Never messed up. Jesus goes, you're lacking one thing. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you love your money. You love your wealth. Give that up and come follow me. What, but what about all these other things I'm doing? Why can't I hold on to the one thing? Because I want it all. I deserve it all. I demand it all from those who follow me. Do you really want to trust him with everything? To put your life, your family, your future, and your will completely in his hands. Are you really committed to his will being done and not yours? Do you sincerely want to be delivered? Do you want to be healed, cleansed? Do you truly love him? Do you really even believe in this stuff? When was the last time you even thought about whether or not your faith was genuine? I think it's time to stop letting each other off the hook. I believe, okay, that's great, you're saved. There's no, I don't wanna tell you that there's anything more required of you because that'll be, come on, church. Is your faith genuine? That night of meditation, it showed me many things. It, it, was, it was a real blessing, but mostly it showed me how far I was from truly trusting and believing in Jesus. And I got a little discouraged, honestly, because I had so far to go until I can trust Jesus, truly. But then I was reminded by my good friend and elder of this church. He reminded me that I could never believe enough. He told me that I could never trust enough. It was not up to me to find perfect trust and perfect love for Jesus. It was only my job to do the best that I could, and Jesus would make up the rest. Jesus, he does not expect perfection from me. He does not expect perfection from you, yet he expects progress from his disciples, spiritual progress. 
And as we studied the book of Revelation these past weeks and examined the things to come, the things that it might happen, no, these things are going to come about. I was convicted of my current state, my current beliefs, my current relationship, and I was in denial, I was apathetic, and I had a lack of zeal for the Lord. And if Jesus comes back right now and I'm <laughs> in denial, apathetic, and no zeal for the Lord, that's not going to bode too well. My denial in that I believed I had for myself achieved some standing of righteousness, that there was no more work to do on my end. I had gotten here, and now I'm teaching other people how to be as righteous as I have found the way. I mean, I'm a pastor, I'm a father, I'm a husband. I'm a man that has turned from his life of sin, trying his best to be like Jesus. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Hey, I know Jesus and I'm saved and I'm forgiven, so I'm good. Gospel of forgiveness without repentance. That's what that is. And it's got to stop. Gospel of forgiveness without repentance. I was denying that I need Jesus every moment of the day, every second of the night. It is he who saved me. It is his sacrifice that redeemed me and cleansed me of my sin. It is his spirit that sustains me. Nothing that I've done. Have I thanked him lately for making me well? Or have I just run off with my mat? Have I blamed him lately for the things in my life? Are my external blessings keeping me from shouting, yes, Lord, I want to be made well in my heart? Are the things he's working in my empirical world dampening the things that he's trying to do in my heart? I must be doing good. Look at, look at my life. No, look at your heart. Apathy. I have become uninterested or even concerned about my discipleship walk. For too long, I've lived in the promises of God and I've ignored the cost of following him. Why can I not admit my sin to him? Why am I so afraid to share with God what he already knows about me? I give this to you, God. I give this to you, God. I give this to you. I'm scared to give this to you. Because this is really, this is who I am. This is something that I'm doing against you. And I'm afraid to let you have it. I'm afraid to let you see it. But what we worship is what we fear. And if I fear giving this to God, then guess what? I'm worshiping that. And that's my idol. What you fear is what you worship. We need to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. But again, am I willing to trust him completely? Am I, can I trust you with this? This secret shame that I've carried my whole life and nobody knows but you and me, and I've never even uttered it to you. Am I humble enough to say, I can't do it without you? For so long, I have been trying to surrender. I have been trying to lay these things down when in reality, I need him. I need to be willing, but I can't do it. It's him who needs to remove it from me. Worship is a big thing. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual, this is your true spiritual act of worship. Living sacrifices. It means don't, don't be a martyr, don't die for Jesus. Live your life in a way that is a living sacrifice to him. I think it's easier to die for Jesus than to live for him. I had become stagnant in my searching, in my seeking. I had grown to a place where I'm comfortable with my understanding and my relationship with God. Nobody say anything new about God. I got it all worked out. Please do not pop this bubble. Spoiler alert, none of that. Don't breathe. The zeal I felt when I first believed was somehow lost. You know, when you first come to believe, you want more. I want more. I want to know more. I want to know more. It's good enough. Yep. Right there, I'm good. Yep. I take for granted the grace of God in all things. All things. Am I ready to offer my life as a living sacrifice to the Lord? 
is he worthy of that? See, this is, this is a story about healing. And if you're here today and you think that you don't need healing, then you're lying to yourself. It may not be a physical, chronic illness, but we all need healing of some kind. Each and every one of us is a whiny, grumpy old snitch, hoping in the things of this world. Search your heart. You know it to be true. Star Wars line? Worked it in. But because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to be citizens of the kingdom here and now. To have the hope and the peace of the Lord now. What can we take away from today's scripture? How can we apply this to our life? One, God's miracles are not dependent on any human merit. You're not not being healed because of something that God's punishing you for. You're not not being healed because of you haven't done enough good yet to cash in. It's not how Jesus works. Right? This one man received healing without any merit, without any repentance, without anything to show us that God is capable of that. He's not dependent on anything you're doing. But this was one man. And now we have this story. So Jesus says, do these things for me. I am healing you. I am working in you. There is work to be done. Well, you, you healed that guy. He didn't have to do anything. I healed him for this story for you so that you could have it today and know how my healing works. But that doesn't mean I'm just giving it away. Two, Jesus does command repentance. His miracles are not based on our repentance, but our inner healing begins at repentance. God can work all the external miracles to show the world. But if that heart is unrepentant, three, we can outwardly, we can be outwardly blessed and internally dead. Just like the man at the pool, we can be made well on the outside, but never healed internally if we show no sign of repentance. In recovery, we call that a dry drunk. They're not drinking anymore, but they're still angry. They're still resentful. They're still prideful. They're, but I'm not drinking. Well, good. Let's work on that inner stuff. I can walk again. Yeah, but you're full of sin. Let's work on that inner stuff. Four, don't miss the miracle because you're so hung up on the rules. Some people are so fixated on the rules and persecuting those who break them that they miss how God is moving in that person's life. The best part of this scripture today was this. Jesus sought out the man. He found him in the temple to teach him about repentance. He didn't just heal him and leave him in his sin. Jesus went to him. The guy wasn't trying to find Jesus. Jesus was like, one more thing. I didn't get to tell you, but I didn't want to leave you like this. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. He didn't say, oh, well, I guess this guy doesn't get it. He sought him out. And thanks be to God that he seeks me out. That he seeks you out. Look at Pastor Matthew. He thinks he's walking it out. I'm going to go have a talk with him. Right? I will never be good enough. You will never be good enough. We can never trust him enough to earn his trustworthiness. We can never love him enough to be deserving of his love. We can never repent enough to be worthy of his saving grace. But that's who he is. The one who gives without thought of himself or recompense. He makes up the distance. He seeks us out. But we must surrender. I believe we can surrender. In fact, I think that's the strongest, most powerful thing that we can do in our best interest. In our best interest is to surrender to, to God. Hope is not a feeling. Hope is not an emotion. Hope is not some abstract human idea. Hope is a man. A man saying, do you want to be made well? Amen. Let's stand.
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity to read your gospel message, to grow in our understanding. I just pray that everyone here would search their hearts. They would lay down the walls that are keeping them from full repentance, that they would turn their lives, their families, their businesses, everything over to your trusting, over to your provision, over to your guidance and mercy, Lord. I pray that any of these false idols or barriers or puffed up things that we've done in ourselves, I pray that we would be reminded that you are all that we need. You are everything that we need. Help us, Lord. Help us to turn to you. If you're here this morning and you're feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit, you're saying, you know what? I, I have built myself up. I have denied my need of a physician and I'm ready to be healed. I'm ready to start the process of healing, Lord Jesus. Revealing to you all the things that are keeping me from you. If that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand. If you're ready, if you've gone away from the Lord and you're like, I need to come back to you, Jesus. I want you to just raise your hand up. I'm sorry, Lord. I need to come back to you, but I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't know if you're going to take me back. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if you'll love me. It's true. He loves you. You can trust him. You can come back anytime that you want. And if you raise your hand, I want to ask you to do one more thing. I want you to come forward when Pastor Jim comes up. And we want to just pray with you. We want to pray with you and we want to walk with you on these next steps of your discipleship path. And honestly, it's a selfish thing because I want to get back on the path myself. And when we walk it together, we support one another. You're not alone anymore. This church family is ready and prime to walk with you. We'd be honored. Plug in and surrender. Bless you all as you continue to worship and you live this week in the light and the love of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.